Welcome to the Let's Go Recovery podcast, where we investigate sobriety and beyond that, explore solutions to help us heal at the core, where the root of our problems like addiction or alcoholism begin. We hope you hear something in today's podcast that ignites a change in your life. Hi, I'm Tracy. Thanks for coming back for another podcast, Let's Go Recovery. Today, I have a special guest on the show, Brock Bevel, a former Mesa PD undercover and drug addict and uh, founder of the Fentanyl Project. Welcome to the show, Brock. Thanks, man. Thanks for being here. Um, I've seen a lot of your stuff. Obviously, we know each other a little bit, but I, I read and hear about your passion and your project towards getting people off of drugs and some of that sort of stuff. We're going to get into that. But first, tell me a little bit of your background. You know, how'd you get started? What, you know, how did you get here? Yeah, well, that's interesting. About two blocks away was the Mesa Police Department. And I started my career in 1994. That ages me a little bit, right? right. Yeah. But uh, I always wanted to be a cop, man. I always wanted to do it. I loved it. But it was crazy. As I started as a police officer, I had two cases that made me hate addiction. The first case was uh, a, a, a man I shot. It was down in uh, by Mountain View High School. He was an alcoholic. I believe it would have been his fourth or fifth UI. He gets on US 60, he goes east, basically loops all the way back around right in front of Mountain View into a cul-de-sac on Glen Cove. And we, we knew he was drunk. We knew he was struggling. His sister was a dispatcher in Phoenix. And long story short, he ends up getting out of the truck. So we tase him and beanbag him and pepper spray him and the dog bites him. I mean, it was like, Incredible, the use of force that we used. Wow. Um, he got back into his truck, put it in drive, and I was the middle car, so I, I shot and killed him. There was, wow. a, there was a few of us that shot, but uh, what was crazy is I remember it was all slowed down. We remember pulling him out of the car. He's on the ground, and all I could think about is, dude, it's December 27th, two days after Christmas, right? Wow. Why are you, why, what in the hell is going on with your life that you made us kill? I mean, you knew the outcome, right? And so it kind of irritated me, right? And I just... I almost had this disdain for people, and then a few months later, or a few, actually a couple of years later, I was working a, a drug case right down here on on uh, Gilbert and Broadway. Broadway in Gilbert, and a lady was prostituting. She was trafficking her daughter, and what was interesting was we got the information from an informant who was a prostitute, and uh, mom showed up. She had the daughter in the car. Long story short, she ran us over. Wow. So that's kind of where, and then she had drugs in the car, and I was like, who is this lady? Why Why are you, like, what is it about this substance? And so I was fueled in as an officer to, like, I wanted to arrest every bad guy that had dope on him, you know? And uh, I just I just had this cause, and then I fell into active addiction because of all the surgeries. I, I, my knee's been fixed a hundred times. My hand blew up, and... and uh, I got into opiates, wow. and as soon as I tried them, it was kind of a, it was like a, it was like a, just a, a bomb ready to explode, because I had just retired from the PD, I had all these injuries, I lost my team from the uh -huh. PD, I felt alone, I'm home changing diapers, I'm like, wait a minute, this is not me, this isn't who I am, I'm a, I'm a dude, right, I'm supposed to be arresting these guys, you know, and so mentally, I noticed that the more opiates I took, the better I felt. And then it kind of like quashed all those negative vibes and bad feelings until I blink and it's 10 years down the road wow. and I'm losing my family. I'm divorced. I had an affair, things that I would not do if I was sober, right? And so 
that kind of took me for a, for a ride. You talk about, you hit it on a couple of really, really important topics. Yeah. And the first one I think is what we think an addict looks like. We and me and you probably both fit that description of a person that somebody doesn't stereotypically look at us. I mean, here you're a successful police officer. I'm running a business. We're showing up to church on Sundays, putting on the charades, you know, wearing the masks, so to speak. And addiction doesn't look like that in a lot of people's eyes. Tell me a little bit about that, about that kind of mask you wore and that kind of shame that you carry when you when you are an addict that doesn't look like one. You know, every time I go public speak, the first thing I start with is if you look at me and I'm walking in Walmart, you don't look at me and say, that dude right there is an addict because I don't fit the bill. You know, right. I don't look like it. I didn't change. My parents didn't drop. I mean, I didn't lose weight. You know, nothing. But I was empty, dude. You talk about that mask and that was real because I was already putting a facade up because I was a cop. Like I already felt like I was, I was an undercover cop. Yeah, it was cool. You know, like I was on Nitro Circus, it felt like. And then when you lose that, the big thing for me was the shock. Like my identity was gone. I didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. Right. And my big, I was floundering. I was trying to figure out which direction, what I was going to do for a career. Do I want to stay retired? I mean, it was just, it was hard. So I was using all these spiritual masks. I had like, on Sunday, I go to church with my kids, but I hated my life, hated who I'd become. I hated the actions I was committing, but I had this facade, this mask on, like I was, hey, I was this great guy, you know? Yeah. And in the inside, I was empty. I was, I hated myself. And so I think that's a real, I think that's a real thing, but we don't see it. Right. I was the last guy to see it. You know, I'm in, I'm full-blown in active addiction. I'm making bad choices. And I still think in my head, oh, dude. Look at me. Look, I can show you my scars. I have all these scars. I'm wounded. Right. Uh, and uh, I was a victim, dude. And so that's what happened. You uh, you hit down the key catchphrase, identity crisis. I mean, the reality is, is I think we lose connection with ourselves. That's obviously what happened mm. with me is I woke up one day and realized I wasn't just separated from all the things we talk about, family, faith, friends, finances are a big deal. I actually was separated from myself. And that's when you realize how much you rely on a substance or a person mm -hmm. or so many different things that people turn to. When you say identity crisis and you think about that idea of discovering yourself, when did you start like rediscovering? So you're an addict for 10 years, yeah. you're going through some pretty ugly stuff. When do you realize, hey, Brock isn't the person that Brock remembers. Well, how does that go down? What, where is that moment? Well, I mean, I think you have a couple of those. My, my aha moment was the day that I turned my life around, but I still didn't know who I was. That makes sense. I, yeah, sure. I walked into my, into my bathroom. I had the pills in my, in my room and I was going to take them and I opened my medicine cabinet and I go to take some and I, and I take a pill or two. But when I shut it, it gives me a glimpse into my room. Oh, the mirror. And so that mirror was like, and it was, I'm telling you now, it was about the first time I ever looked at that guy mm. in 10 years. And I hated what I saw, what was staring back to me. And that's kind of like that moment that like a type guy, I just opened that mirror, grabbed all my pills and dumped them. Wow. Biggest mistake of my life. Sure. Now understand like, I don't recommend that. I don't recommend detox in that way, but that's when I realized I was kind of a badass. Like I felt like a badass. Cause I'm like, okay, Brock, you talked so much about this, about wanting to change. I didn't know about recovery. I did, I'd never been in a room. I didn't know that stuff, but I knew that I had a relationship with Jesus. I knew that. And I knew that I was going to need him because in about two days I was suffering. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I was in the suffer mode 
and defecating myself, the restless leg, the throwing up, the chills, the, I mean, in and out of the shower, in and out of the cold. It was just miserable, man. Mm. And so that's when, that was kind of like that pivot point. And day seven was finally when I said, okay, God, listen, you, you know me well enough because at day three, I tried to bail. All I wanted was to get out and get one pill to be able to like, okay, if I can just get out, I'll be fine. It's just one pill. I got to, I got to get out these withdrawals. But day seven, I was like, okay, God, here's the deal. No, I'm not a bed man. I don't, I'm not making a deal with you, but I physically can't go through this anymore. So if you'll take me out of this misery, if you'll get me out of this, like I'm, I feel like the, the pills are gone. Now it's a battle between me and me, right? Mm, sure. And so you remember Hulk Hogan, right? Oh, remember? sure. So yeah. you remember at the end of the matches when he was losing, they, they pull his arm up and they drop. They pull his oh, arm up and they, they drop. And the third time he was like, Start shaking. Remember, against the crowd. That's right. And that's what it kind of felt like. Like, I really felt empowered. I said, okay, God, it was a simple prayer. I was like, I don't have any more options. I'm going to die. And I was alone, man. And and you talk about loneliness. I had alienated everybody in my life. Nobody wanted to be my friend. Our family didn't know I was struggling. My kids didn't know I was struggling. Only me. Because I was an undercover cop. Like, I had learned those behaviors and how to hide them. Mm. Right? So in the bathroom, man, I'm just telling Jesus and God, I'm just said, okay, if you let me just out of this bathroom, just let me get out. I'll be, I'll never use again. That was a commitment sure. I made and I'll be different. I'll, I'll help, I'll help like in this role somehow. And I'm telling you, man, that's what it felt like. It felt like I had all this power back and I walked into the bathroom and 14 years ago, which will be January 11th of this year, I'll have 14 years of sobriety. Wow, congrats, And I haven't man. relapsed. And, uh. It wasn't because of me. It was just I made a commitment at that time in my life that I needed out and I needed help. That's an interesting perspective. A guy that has these tools, right? You, when I say tools, like you knew who to turn to, like when you're on the police force, like, hey, I need to get something done. I know how to turn to. Like you probably had people in your church. You have all these tools hmm. at your disposal, but yet it's so hard for us to say, I'm broken. I need help. I'm hurting. I know some of your family, you know, members, and I know that you've got, you know, this support yeah. system. You'd think people come that. What do you say to the family, like, today that says, I don't know how to just say I'm struggling and I need help? What are you saying to those type of people that just don't know how to take that first step? Well, none of us do. It's not natural, right? Because we're always, we're always okay. How are you doing? I'm great. Right. Been a great day. How was Christmas? Wonderful, right? Sure. We're never negative. We're never like, oh, I'm having a... I'm having a really bad day. <laughs> right. Right. Because we don't do that because if it does, then it opens up conversation. Now we're going to dissect that conversation. So it's easier for me. So I remember the first time that I had a conversation and I just opened it up. And so if I could talk to us as men, and I think women have mastered it. I think they're really good at communicating with other women. They have their support team. But when I looked at my life, so I, there's this philosophy, this theory about being a 3M guy. I think we have a lot of nine to five people in our lives. We have a lot of dudes in our lives. And I'm going to talk about the men that we love each other and we support each other. But I'm not calling you at 3 a.m. when I need you. But then there's a certain amount of guys that I can call at 3 a.m. And they're not asking all the questions. They're getting their boots on. Wow. They're putting their pants on and saying, okay, bro, where do you want me to go? And, I, and if you really take a deep dive in your life, we have tons of eight to five guys. We have tons of those people. Mm-hmm. Right. And most of them are family, but we don't have those people in our lives that are 3 a.m. because they don't know they're a 3 a.m. guy. So you have to actually tell that guy, hey, Tracy, 
you're my 3 a.m. guy. If, I, if I'm calling you at 3 a.m., I just need you to show up. Wow. And so it's, and it does come down to communication and being vulnerable. Right. Because that's the last thing we want to do. The last thing we want to do is ask for help, and that's the one thing that we needed. You, you needed it. I uh, needed yeah. it. Absolutely. You still need that today. So oh. you're, you're, you know, you're sober a little time, and some people watching this, you might be getting day one. You might, they might be in day three, you know, this day seven you talked about. What are you saying to them? You're in 14 years. Tell them about your team today yeah. and the fact that you still need people in your life, not just 3 a.m. guys, 8 to 5. Tell me about some of your, like, what your day looks like structure-wise today. Well, I love that. And first of all, I hate time. Like, when people talk, I, I never tell people how many times. Sure. But since we were talking about it in numbers, like, oh, 14 years sounds great. But the I am no different at 14 years than I was that day one. Because the decision never to use again was the same then as it is today. So mm-hmm. when you hear about these guys, oh, I got 24 years of sobriety, whatever. Like, I wish we didn't measure it in time. Sure. Because there's some guys that are 24 years sober. Miserable. Not the nicest, nicest people right. in the world. And you're like, why is that guy in the room? He's so angry, <laughs> right? <laughs> He's a dry drunk. That's He's right. so mad or whatever. But And, and I had those experiences but my thing is I started my business, Victory Recovery, the fentanyl project, because I need a team. I'm selfish. Right. I want guys around me that are like-minded. I want 3 a.m. guys. I want 9 to 5 guys. I create that in my life out of selfishness, out of pure, like, I need you in my life. That's a great way you of know? looking at it. It's selfish. It's, like it's some absolutely. Of, some of what we do is so that I can stay sober, right? And then you're drawing a very clear line in this this podcast has been created to do, draw this line between sobriety, I, I didn't drink, I didn't use today, mm-hmm. and recovery. Yeah. And I know that you have a very good position on that. There's a massive difference in those two statements, right? And so tell me a little bit about like recovery. Like where does that transition happen? Whether I've abstained from something for a period of time, whether again, three days, 30 days, however long you've abstained. But what about that recovery move? What does that look like? Man, that's a such a good question. I think people people they, those those words are intertwined so much. But it's like a race. Like there's a big difference between being done and being finished. Okay. Wow. And so when I look at it, I look at it, hey, I'm finished today, but I'm gonna tomorrow I'm gonna start another race. I'm I'm gonna do it again. I'm finished with that race, I'm gonna do it again. When I'm done, I'm done. Mm. Right? I'm never and that was the decision I made in that bathroom was like, I'm done. Never touching this stuff again, no matter what. And so I think it's a mindset for a lot of people. And you know when you know. Right. And people ask me all the time, well, how am I going to know? You'll know. Mm-hmm. How am I going to know when I'm, when I'm sober? You'll know. How, how do I know when it transitions from sobriety to recovery? You'll know. Because I can't tell you. I don't know. For me, it didn't happen my first year sober. I still hated myself. Sure. Hated myself. And it's taken me years to be like, I mean, I still, I still have a, a, a restrained relationship with my kids. I have five kids, right? Okay. I, w- I mean, I don't want to say they're strained, but it's difficult, man, because of actions I did then, right? So I'm still in recovery, right? I'm sober. Recovering oh, from yeah. something else. Yeah, recovering, yeah. and it's, it's recovering tomorrow from probably yes, yesterday yeah. or, or three years ago or whatever. So recovery is this ongoing process of discovering the authentic you. That's it. We talk about it all yeah. the time. And again, you're a tough guy, and you and you've got this gym set up in your stu- you know, in your. Uh, place I don't even know if I'm there yet. You know what I mean? Right, I don't right, even know if I'm there. there. I don't, I don't know. know. Right? Yeah. You, you'll find out. You continue to find out. The best thing is about guys like you, and hopefully me and the guys I work with, that you're willing to look at that. 
that mirror that was staring back at you on that day that you didn't use, right? Like that, that first day, you realize that same guy you look at tomorrow, you've got to be proud of him. You've got to love him. You've got to know that he is doing the things that he needs to do, not just to stay sober, to, but to be a decent dad, a great human being, a good friend, whatever yeah. it is that you need to do, you're doing again, like you said, today. Yeah. Right? So so to the person that doesn't, to, doesn't think to themselves, like, I got this in me, mm. what, are you, what are you saying to the guy that says, man, I just don't think I can do it again? Like what they're talking about, maybe even maybe doesn't even register with them. What, what are you saying to him or them? Then you can't. Honestly, I'm going to be real with you. If you don't think you can do it, don't, don't start it, right? But the three most dangerous words in the English dictionary for us in recovery is, I got this. Wow. Think about it. Like, I got this. When you get to the point to where you got this, you're in trouble. You've alienated your friends. You've alienated your higher power. All of that stuff's gone. And so you have to, like, take a deep dive into yourself a little bit I still don't trust myself. Right. I mean, I'm time. I have a lot of time. Sure. But I still, I still have things that I struggle with, and that there's things that I'm fighting with every day. Like, but I'm gonna tell you, we're sick as our secrets. You've heard okay. that before, yeah, right? We're that. sick as oh, our secrets, language. man. Sure. And so, being authentic and being real is probably the best thing that's happened in my recovery. So, when you say being real, who's mm-hmm. the first person that you're saying I gotta be real with? That's him. Yeah. He's really the only one I'm accountable to when it comes down to it. I mean, I'm married. I got a great wife. We have an accountability team. We talk a lot about recovery. Um, and, I, and I need to be honest with her and real with her, and she's my team. But, I mean, I'm answering to God every day. You know, there's a lot of people that struggle with that, right? We've got step work. You've been through plenty of 12-step processes or a rediscovery processes. And there's a lot of faith-based or God-based, spiritual-based language. And what do you say to the person that's struggling with God or higher power, whatever language they want to use? Why is it so important that they come to, I'm going to say, turn over their will? That's what the book says. Like, I turn over, I surrender to the fact that I'm a drug addict. Why is that such an imperative step for everybody that they may miss? Because when you have, I, that's, that's the difference is I tried to do it myself. How many times mm. did Tracy <laughs> try to stop on his own? Right. Like, I couldn't do it. I just was not powerful enough. I was powerless. Sure. This is sure. the book, right? I was powerless. I had no, I had no like next step, no answer for that. But then what was funny is when I finally just said, I'm done trying, I'm going to give it to you. Mm. It's yours, and I'm going to work with you. I'm just going to follow the lead, and I'm going I'm to just move with that. So, <clears throat> sorry. So, talking to people that, that are not believers in God, I'm okay with that. He just became my higher power. Right, that was it for me. Whatever you need to make you accountable, go go develop it. Go use it. I mean, everybody I work with, they're not all religious. They don't all have a, a God as a higher power. But you better have something in your life because if it's just you, the I got this thing, we're in trouble. So let me give you mm-hmm. some some real talk real, real quick. So Tracy, I owned a program for six years in Sholo. It was an inpatient program. You guys came in with thousands of men. And when our, we interviewed and we talked with each other, we always found out, hey, what, where can we put your faith? Where can we put your belief? And I will tell you that the men and women that put their relationship in a higher power were far more successful than the men that said, I'm going to do this on my own. I believe I'm powerful enough. 
And it was night and day, the recovery, recovery, long-term, um, when they took it upon themselves to believe in something else. Yeah, that's surrender, right? I've used surrender. That, you, you use that language, surrender, because the more I hold on, the tighter I grip, the more I want to be in control, those are what force us, I'm going to say force us, those were the reasons we chose to drink. A lot of people think like, yeah, I'm born with something inside me that makes me want to drink more or continue to mm. drink. I think you talked about that, that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you put a pill in your body, doesn't do anything for you. My wife, she puts a pill in her body. She's like, oh, this is awful. I'm never doing it yep. again. I mean, you put it in our body and go, this is awful. Give me more. Right. So you may or may not have that. But that just becomes the the I'm going to say the coping mechanism. So when we start turning that over and say, I don't have any control over that first pill or yeah. that first drink or that first anything, you're actually taking back some of the power that that substance has over you. So when you say, like, I'm recovering from a toxic relationship, that has what is what has power over you today. You, yeah. you talk about a bunch of different ways that we're recovering still. So you're recovering with your children, but you don't have to have power over that anymore. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to lie anymore. You get to be more, this is Brock. Yeah. This is who you get. And when I talk to you, I hear like, I don't have to run the show. And that's where you that's when you say God and whomever you choose to be your higher power. We love to leave that in their hands because when they can come up with that, then they actually decide on their own that hey, I'm not in charge. Yeah. He is. It is. And there's so much freedom the first time I said that. Like, is that what your experience is at Victory Your Recovery? Yeah. I mean, I was a good drug addict. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was really good at it. I was a good, you know, I mean, you become good at what you put your time and effort into. So for me, I just realized, man, you're just, I was causing so much destruction in my life and I needed help. And I just realized, I kept looking back saying, dude, I've tried this so many times <laughs> yeah. and I just don't, I can't do it. And for, for us, guys like us to say, I can't do something is gnarly. Hard. It's rough. And so for me to say, dude, I just can't do this alone. I can't. But I was also in a place where I was humbled. Right. Sitting in the bathroom naked, freezing cold, defecating yourself. You get to reach out for something bigger than you. And when it shows up, when he shows up, man, you just can, you can put your faith in that. Right. You know? And that's long term. Like long we, term. That's long term. So, so the people that are thinking like, hey, I can't do this. You can't do this alone. Right. Mm -hmm. that, that's the problem. Some people, you, and you're right. You go, I tell a lot of my guys to go, you're right. You can't do this because if you could, you would. You would. And the fact that you haven't tells me you can't. Mm -hmm. And that's what's powerful is, is that I say, hey, God, some people, some sports staff, some 3 a.m. guys, I love that language. They become what helps us on the days when we can't. I talk a lot about the fact that I only didn't have to drink. I'm going to say four or five or six times in my few years of sobriety. Those were the days that my team carried me. Mm. Those were the days when the dudes came around side and said, you don't got it today. Like you might use, it's not every day that I'm gripping my seat. It's the days when I can't do it on my own, that God has to come carry me. I love the, you know, footprints and the imagery yeah. of that, but also the, the people that I surround myself with. And I know you guys are doing yeah, that I mean, and it coming alongside that, those bonds and those brothers that you have, how imperative is it for our listeners and people to hear, like, that's got to be part of what you do? It, it has to be. It has to be. And so what we've done at Victory is we've created an environment of success. We've created an environment where you're going to come pay your dues with us. So we start our day at 830 in the morning in the gym. 
And people are like, well, you're just putting them, dude, our workouts are therapy sessions. And so by the time we're done, we get to go into the next room and break into groups and talk about it. Like, what happened? So there's always these two voices that are screaming at us, right? In our lives. Sure. And hopefully you don't mind. I'm, I'm not trying to curse or anything, but we have a bitch voice and we have a king voice. Yeah. All of us do. Men and women, we all have these two voices. And the bitch voice is the one that is so loud. It's, it's, it's created that addiction. It knows what to say. It knows when they're weak. It, it pushes us toward pornography. It just does all this thing, right? It talks to us, hey- it's cold out, bro. Why are you getting up at 6 a.m. to go to the gym? Yeah. You can lay here till 6.30. Wait, your alarm's going. Go to 7, right? Yeah. You can eat that. And it's this voice that, that just you've massaged long enough, and you got to learn how to kill it. Wow. Right? And you got to learn. And in addiction recovery, you got to learn how to kill it because that's the voice of like, hey, man, a pill would be really nice right now. That drink of alcohol, hey, you deserve it. You had a great day at work. You, That's a reward, brother. Right. Go drink. <laughs> right? It's this voice that's just like, dude, I got to be able to identify. And so in those rooms- there's only two things that I can create in your life to hear that thing talking to you. Okay. Right? Two. One's in the gym, one's in the cold plunge. Wow. Those are the only two environments that I've, I've found to make that voice loud enough to where you can hear it and start identifying it. Wow. Right? You, have you ever cold, cold plunge? Sure. Oh, right? Yeah, absolutely. You get in there, what's the first thing? Get, get out. out. Yeah. Get out. Run. Why? Why right. are you sitting here? Yeah. Right? And it's that voice and you hear it and you, once you get used to it, you're like, ah. Uh, I'm safe. I'm okay. Yeah. I don't have to take a pill. And so you learn how to quiet that noise down and just kind of, and then it's a daily thing. Like that voice is constant. And so if you, in recovery, I think that's where the team comes in. Right. That's where the component of your brothers come in, where I'm suffering with him. He's suffering with me. Hey man, I think I can do this another day. I remember the first time I plunged, I did it by myself, right? I got, I got in and somebody told me you do this, you know, it's going to happen. And I timed it because they, they always yeah. talk about that. So I, I did it. And if it was eight seconds, I'm shocked. Like I would I would have no, well, not won a rodeo. But what we did is we did an exercise where I actually did it with three dudes. And mm. this was like only my second time doing it. And one of the guys had experience and he talked me through the fact that like you're safe. He used the right words. Like you're going to be fine. There's nothing you have to be afraid of. And all of that language was him just telling me what I knew but couldn't tell myself, like, mm. I've got you. And it was like, next thing you know, we, we had timed that one and we got out, we watched the video backwards and we watched the antics of it because there's the, oh, oh, oh man, ah, you know, all that. But th then there was like, I looked up on the top right and it was two and a half minutes and it was only because I had two buddies Absolutely. there. Like, I had those people that said, I got your back. And again, whether that's a cold plunge, reaching for a pill, going places you don't want to go, I need people that say, I got you, bro. Yeah. Like, I'm a 3 a.m. guy. And yeah. I, I will never stop using that language. Let's get into what you're doing now. Like, you talked about action and, you know, of course, let's go recovery. I'm a let's yeah. go type of guy, man. We got to go. We got to be prevalent. We got to do stuff. Right now, you're working hard on what I'm calling an epidemic and addiction, mm -hmm. and it's called fentanyl. Yeah. And you've got the fentanyl project, Brock. Tell me what's going on with that. Yeah, you know what? It's we're blessed, man. We were the we have a van that was donated to us after we we're we're working there about six months. And the fentanyl project basically, I don't get paid for it. It's part of just two hours a day where I go out on my own and I go to support the public. Right? Listen, my my I was born in Mesa. I got addicted in Mesa. You know what I mean? Like you start right. I, I I got married in Mesa, my kids were born in Mesa. So, like, this is my community. This is my town. And so, if I can't make an impact, who is going to? Right? I took an oath. Like, when I, when I took an oath to the police department was to protect and serve, whether I have that badge or not. Right. 
I still feel like I, I'm obligated to do what I can do at all t- at all times, right? If I can support people, and so my goal is I have a I have a gift. We have gifts. We went through it, dude. We're sober, sure, right? We're in recovery, and so and, and that's a gift that people don't get to see. Mm-hmm. Long term recovery is not something that people get to emulate, and so for us to be able to go out in the public and say, hey, I've been where you're at, dude. Look, I, I, you can do it, man. Cool story. A couple months ago, I was in the park. There was a guy sitting at the park crying, wow. head down. And I look at him, and the first thing I do is, like, I'm judging the guy. Hispanic dude, fully tattooed. A police officer and that guy would never communicate. Right. He would never have a sit-down, break bread. So we sat down for a second. I was like, hey, can I do anything for you? And he's crying. And I'm like, we're talking for a second. And uh, I don't know. I was like, can I pray for you? And and please understand, I'm not a prayer guy. I don't like. I'm not gonna do it in public. I have my own, my my sure, my program. belief is my belief, you know. And I'm not I'm not out there. It's Smash. not me, right? But I'm in the middle of Pioneer Park, which is a, a couple blocks from here. Sure. And I'm like, hey, let me pray for you, brother. So I pray for him, and he looks up and he goes, man. So I gave him my card. He that was that was right here. He walks down to Gilbert, and he's on the on the train, dies, passes out, just out. EMS comes to get him. They take him to the hospital. He's in that hospital a few days. Sick, wow. right? As they're him and his wife are driving back, he's like, damn, there's that car. That's that dude's office. So as he's driving by, he's like, can we go back by? So we, he comes back the next day, sits down with me. He goes, brother, you saved my life. I don't know who you are and why you sat down with me, why you prayed for me, but you saved my life, and I want to join your program. Wow. He's like eight months sober today, wow. right? But here's the deal. Had I not been in the park, had I not been like, Dude, it's scary. Sure. Approaching people and then praying for them and all that stuff's scary. But like, I do feel like we have a gift that we can pass on. Say, hey, man, I love you. I care about you. I know where you're at. How can I help? My goal isn't to heal everybody. I can't heal everybody. Sure. You know, there's so many different mental health issues and substance abuse issues. But if I can help one person, if I can give you a blank and get you through the night and tomorrow morning you want to make that phone call, man, I'm in. And that's what it's about. Right. It's a gift of giving, man. And I think that's what's crazy is I talk a lot about these rewards that we get that you know in that moment, and that's a powerful story, that you did what actually made you feel good. Some of the stuff that we thought, the elusive high that we were both chasing man. for so long, I go, there's no way that these fleeting moments, and there's a lot of people that I'm around, obviously, that still party and still think that this is awesome. And I go, you don't know what it feels like for mm. somebody to say, bro, you saved my life. Yeah. Or a woman, I've had the whisper. I, I get emotional because I think of the wives that look at me and say, you saved my marriage. Now, in that moment, I try to not be prideful and, and God's still working on yeah. that with me. But you go, man, I was present for that. And that's what we get with sobriety or recovery is we get the opportunity to see these amazing moments and participate in people's lives in a way that. These two guys, we never would have yeah, participated. You again, you would have had your head down, judge. I'm out of here. This guy doesn't mean me, and believe me, we both, you know, probably did it so many times it's embarrassing almost to think about. Yeah. But we have the opportunity to not just bless them, but help them change something about their lives. Like that's the crazy part when somebody says, You helped change my life. The reality is you didn't actually do that much. Like when we right. look back of all the things that we tried to do. Like when I say, you know, I'm sure as a police officer, like I'm going to save this life. What's that take? That takes chasing down a bad guy, shooting somebody, like this ma- massive operation. In reality, you just in that moment let your hand, like I care. Like there's so much into that. 
tell me how you take that from saving, I'm going to say one person's life. Okay. And I'm going to give you credit for that. Whether you want to take it or not, that's a powerful opportunity from saving that person's life to bigger picture. Like we've got an audience that's listening now and saying, man, um, I don't know what it's going to take to save my life. I don't know, you know, what words are going to be spoke to me. What are you saying as far as like looking into yourself to not just take the first step, but to continue on some type of journey to get to where maybe you and I consider ourselves to be today? Yeah. To answer your first question, you showed up. Like, had you not been there for that woman, for that man, for that marriage? Like, that's the cool thing. I mean, we're vessels. That's all we are, right? We show up and I I think it's action over everything. And if I could speak to them, I would tell them the same thing. Like, go align yourself with better people. Look around. Look who you hang out with. Mm. If you're the smartest guy in the room, get out of the room. room. Find a new room. Get out, right? And so that's what I try to tell people. If you're around five dudes that are using drugs, you're around two guys using drugs, dude, you're in the wrong room. And there's a lot of rooms out there that you can find that are filled with amazing people that will guide you, right? But what happens is we lose our confidence. And we're thinking inside, hey, man, this is all I deserve. This is all I, you know, God's, God's punishing me. This is what I'm going to get the rest of No, man, you change your life. You make, you take those steps and action over everything. You be different. And so what I would tell is just, just the first thing I would do is script my day. Every day of my day is scripted. Okay. Right? My brother coaches in the NFL. He taught me this a long time ago. I, I, shoot, I think I learned it in high school too, is – Script your day. Like when we go to play a football game, you had the first 10 plays scripted. Sure. Right? That way you're not guessing. Hey, here's the first. We're going to start smart. We're going to start fast. We're going to go. It's the same thing with your day. Like what happens is when we're in active addiction, we don't, we're not scripting anything. All we're doing is chasing that next high. Now, if I can chase the next great thing in my life, then I'm winning. So if I can look at my day at six o'clock, I'm getting out of bed no matter what. My alarm clock's going. That alarm clock goes, I'm out. Right at seven o'clock, I'm at the gym. At eight o'clock, I'm reading. At nine o'clock, I mean, just like you sure. start hitting this, and you start with baby steps, and then all of a sudden, it's like, man, I have five days of sobriety under my belt because I'm just not putting in my schedule to go get high. Right. And people are like, oh, that's easier said than done. No, no, no. Try it. it, it you try it. Yeah, yeah. And you hang around the right people, and all of a sudden, you start elevating. Mm. Yeah, you've you've hit on a couple of things there. That schedule and that script is so important, and people think that I can write it down. I'm the same way with the gym. I'm going to do, you know, we're coming up on a time where people make some decisions about their life and you go, I can't believe how hard it is, except for I've got two buddies that are going to go with me, Mm. you know, and now I'm going like, now I go to the gym, right? And, you know, we think of even something like this operation, we've got a podcast set up here without this crew, without the cameras, without all the things, this doesn't go out to anybody. We need a team like to be part of that. And when we put the motion in place, when we put the script down on, you know, on paper, that's how the thing gets developed. Every great movie, every great offense, yeah. you know, it, it, it's scripted. It takes everybody being on the same page. An NFL team, I think they have 54 or 45 players on a team, right? Like those people have to know what their job is, right? And I think I, I think we did a good job and I did a pretty good job of having times of the day where I'm going to look to make, let's say, a phone call. Like this mm. is the time when I typically would be there. I'm going to make a phone call for me. I, I uh, had my wife a check-in at 3 p.m. 3 p.m. was always the time where I would either keep drinking or, you know, the night would take on a new shape. So when I got sober, early days of sobriety, I'm checking with my wife for me. Like she probably thinks like, oh, like, you know, the, like yep. the reverse of that. No, no, no. I'm checking in for me to make sure I'm doing the next thing I want to do. 
For me, it was getting to dinner. Like, mm. it's just something as simple as I raise the value so, of showing up for dinner. And somebody's like, well, that would have been, you, you know, you did that in your addiction. No, 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 not here and not here. Yeah. I was never at dinner. But when I, like you say, put it in the script, have a good dinner. Now, have a good dinner and have a good conversation. Have a good dinner, have a good conversation, and interact deeply with yeah. your kids. Like, there's there's so many, like, you the, the very first step you took, the uh, very first play you ran, set the tone for a lot of, of what happens. Like, we think of the momentum in a football game. Yeah, Talk man. to me about that momentum. When we start that ball rolling and people start doing, let's say, the good things in their life start coming true, how do they keep that momentum? Like, what do you say to the person that's saying, let's say they got some time, you know, they haven't drank, they haven't used in a while. How do they keep that momentum going? What does that look like? For me, I don't, I don't ever see it slowing down. That's the funny part. If you're really doing it right, if you're really in the right rooms, the momentum just goes. It's like a football game. When everything's smooth, man, and what happens is all of a sudden you start doing the next right thing and big things start happening in your life. Like that job that you were looking for happens. Right. You find the right person because you're doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden, man, you get traction and then all of a sudden, now you want to start helping yourself. Oh, I want to look better. I want to feel better. That's why I hate, the only thing I hate about recovery is we talk about mind, body, spirit. Sure. And everybody wants to fix the body because it's the easiest thing to fix. You give me 30 days right. and a hell of a diet, I'm going to make you look different. Just It's fast. Just the way it is. We can change and evolve our bodies quickly, but you can't this. You can't your mm. mind. It takes some time. It takes some thinking. Like You got to take a deep dive. Like I hated myself. Man, I had to go and take some deep dives on myself that that traction is, okay, we're working on Brock today. You can't fix your family. Right. A dead battery can't charge a dead battery. So you got to figure out how to fix your dead battery. And then once you start fixing, that evolution starts happening. I never thought I was going to help men and women. Right. Like, I didn't think I was going to be in the recovery space. I didn't think I was going to own the fentanyl project and run the fentanyl. I didn't know that. It's just, it was the next thing for me to do because- it, it it felt right, mm. and so I think you just it just rolled just like you, man. Like you didn't think you'll be right. doing a podcast, right. you know exactly. what I mean? It's just like you get to a point like I got to spread the word now. I got to go talk to people. What's the best way to do it? Okay, I'm gonna put get on a podcast. It's just like okay, we're just, it's evolution, man. And it's it's great that you don't know where you're gonna discover it. So hmm. you just kept showing up. I love that language. Show, show up. up. Like I don't know what you have for me today, God, but let me be part of it. I heard that somebody say that, and I thought that's such a powerful way because. Again, I don't have to be in control of that. I look for these opportunities, and they probably were there for us. Again, we missed them a lot of times. But now that we recognize them, it's like, I got to do something about that. I've got to get in that space and make myself available. When you're going out in these vans, I know you're, you're again, you're dealing with fentanyl, and that's a deadly, deadly, you know, a, a drug that it's killing people in a, in a, a form that we'd have never seen before. Yeah. You know, recreational drugs. How do you um, balance the idea of not using these bigger substances to heal your pain? So, so people are turning to fentanyl, not because they necessarily want to kill themselves. No one's necessarily, if they want to, obviously they can, but somebody's taking this because they have pain. What do you talk about addressing the pain of life? Yeah, well, the first problem is a lot of people are taking fentanyl and they don't know it. Right. Like I work with the fraternity, the ASU, and a lot of the kids there. Use cocaine, right? Just, sure. I mean, it's a, it's a college drug, right? Well, they don't know there's fentanyl in it. Mm. And I'm seeing guys that are using heroin fentanyl in it and methamphetamine is fentanyl. And now we're getting marijuana with fentanyl. And it's like just all these things are evolving. 
it's not like our day, man, where it wasn't. Now it's they're trying to get it into our substance to make us higher. Now for me, it was easy because I the opiates made my body pain go away. Right. I didn't realize that my body pain was also an emotional pain. And when I talk to people on the streets, you can listen to the videos. A lot of them are like, man, I just, I want to be out of pain mentally. Right. I hate what I've done in my life. I've lost my kids. I lost my family. And those drugs allow me to forget. And so you got to put something in their place bigger and better than that. Right. And that's my goal. It's like, I'm not trying to get you to heal from fentanyl. I'm trying to help you get a better life. Right, when That's you connect it. with yourself. Yes. Right? I want to invite you back to your life, mm. right? Because so many people are thinking that I've got to put down this substance. Well, they, yes, but that's only because I want a relationship with my daughter. I want to have a Christmas where I'm not raising the chaos. And if you mm. go, there was an experience I had, and you know she she's in the room today. So if we went golfing, and if you told me that I could do anything on November the 28th, it would be going to the driving range with my daughter. But the only reason that that opportunity arose, because I didn't drink on January 3rd of 2021. So nearly three years later, I get to go to the driving range and half around set today only because I didn't drink that day. Mm. And that progression, that thought of like, I'm not doing this for something that I don't even know what that's going to be, is such a powerful thought in people's mind is you don't even know what you want in your life. And so this idea of chasing, um, I'm going to say moments that we don't even know. You are seeing those all the time. How do you replace that elusive high that we talked about? How do you replace that in early recovery? Somebody's saying, hey, I'm trying to just get my job back or I'm just trying to get my license back or get my wife to not hate me as much. How do you give them, and I'm going to call it the carrot, how do you give them something to look forward to that they don't even know is going to happen like this moment right now? You can't. You know, I think that's the elusive question. Everybody's like, well, I'm going to do it for my kids to start. No, you can't. Right. Because if your kids don't want you back, then what? Like, it's an intrinsic, it's an internal thing that you have to find for yourself. Like, I got to love myself enough to recover. Right? I don't think there's, I, for me, my carrot was like, I want to have a relationship with my kids again, but I can't have a relationship with my kids with who I am. Mm. Who I am. So until I fix that, I'm not going to have a relationship with them. And I think that's a false hope a lot of times. And, and I'm okay saying that. People can be mad, but I think we do put our goal of recovery on somebody else's happiness. Mm. I want to fix my relationship with my wife. Well, what if it's damaged too so far uh, that you're not fixing right. it, right? And that was what happened with me. It was too far gone. And so, like, even if I wanted that, and if I'm basing my recovery on her, and then she leaves, I'm going back out and using. Because so, that's a problem with you. Yeah, that's a me issue. So that right there for me is... You got to fix you and you got to have a reason to get sober. You got to have a reason to get sober because there was a reason you got high, Mm. right? Like you, that's a great thought because you, your pain and you talked about it, your pain was physical. Like your first incident, you know, your injuries, whatever it is, they're physical pain. And then you realize, and I think it was for me, like my financial pain, Mm. it went away when I popped that pill, right? Like, or my wife is on my nerves. I can get her to go away a shot in a line that calms her right down. She's not a problem anymore. And people don't realize that that's a me. I'm an abandoned kid, so I'm one of those that that um, probably always wanted his dad to come pick him back up, right? Like, mm. I got to prove myself to you. I want you to like me. Sitting on this podcast with a little bit of time under my belt and on a journey of recovery, I still want to be loved. And I think everybody does that. And when I take a, and put a drug in my body, I don't feel the absence of love. So when you say heal yourself, 
Give me the three quick points. We'll wrap up with this idea. What are some things I can do to start loving myself? Man, that's a journey. You know, you got what I did is I went in some books. I went and started reading some books in my life and tried to take a deep dive into the Bible. I, I mean, I'm not a huge Bible guy, but it just kind of, I wanted, I needed a base. Mm-hmm. I needed to find out who I am and like really find myself growing up as a, as a Christian. I wanted to, I wanted to see if that was real, you know, I wanted to see if it was fake and then having these experiences. So for, for me, the first thing I had to do is I had to really develop like the, I am like, mm. who am I? Sure. I mean, I'm not a cop anymore. Sure. Identity. Uh, right. It's that identity thing is like, Hey, I, I am son of God, mm. you know? So for me, I had to like really dig down and get all, all the fluff. Um, then I had to find a way to love myself, look in the mirror and, and say, this guy that you're looking at, you love him. And I'm going to tell you, that was for me probably one of the hardest things to do because we don't ever do that. You never take that time for you to look in the mirror and just say, hey, I'm okay with you now. Because I, I, for 10 years, I never looked at myself. I hated it myself. And I remember the first time I walked across it and then stopped for a second. I was I had some sober time and I walked back. I was like, like that guy i like who he is you know so right so it it was there was a little bit of evolution and then it's it, it's your support team man it's having guys that are going to tell you the truth sure like i i don't want yes man in my life i don't want guys that just stroke me and say hey you're doing a great thing i want people to be real with me hey you shouldn't treat your wife that way you know the, the way you communicated with me i didn't like it and you know, just real talk because i want to be a real man i want i want people to, to to give it to me because if i can do that to you I got to be able to take it. So wow. that ego, you got to lower that ego a little bit in life. So that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're talking about some things that we're stripping away. So you've done hit on a lot of things about Let's Go Recovery. There's things that we don't want to do. There's things that we do. And then there's actual action we can take. Mm. I mean, that's the, the powerful thing is people can do something about that. If you want a life free from addiction, here are some of the steps. And we we'll the 12 steps are there. Sure. But those 12 steps don't say anything about like discovering who you are. They don't say anything about setting up a support team. So I love the word willingness. I talk about that like, okay, you know, today didn't go that great. Well, show up tomorrow. And what are you willing to do about it? Like, what are you willing to do to change what didn't go great yesterday? So let me interrupt you. What you just said is paramount. I hope people like the debrief of your day is something we all miss. Mm. We... Because well, you scripted it, right? You went sure. through it. It's like, I got to have this stuff. Did. But stopping at night and saying, hey, I'm going to do a little self-evaluation. How did you do? Grade yourself out. Sure. At the end of the day, how did I do? Oh, man, I was a B today. Mm-hmm. I was an F today. I didn't treat my wife right. You're right. And, and we miss that. Because if I, don't, if I miss it, then tomorrow it just compounds. Right. I need to be able to and, and slow my life down enough to say, I was terrible today, man. Right. I got to fix this. I got to fix that relationship and, and start working on it because that we miss it. We don't, we don't script it. We don't slow our lives down. We just go on the next day. Oh, yesterday was fine. I oh, yesterday sucked. I'm going to move on. No, no, slow down and right. fix it. And the best part is you define it. Yeah. The best part about that is you get to say, hey, my life looks the way I wanted it to look today. Nobody telling you. So many times people telling you, don't do this. Don't do that. And those were the times when you're like, well, that's of course what I'm going to do, right? Yeah. And and so now I get to um, both 
discover who I am and decide what I want my life to look like and how it can be better tomorrow is such a great journey that you put yourself on and hold yourself accountable. The biggest word there is honesty. Mm. Like I got to be honest to me and say, hey, man, you know you can do better at that. Hey, you weren't being truthful in that situation. You know what I mean? There's some, there's some awareness, self-awareness, but that's all because of the absence of the substance. You know, the absence of that time spent in that place that kind of jades us and think, it's okay. Like you, you didn't use just thinking like, oh, I know I'm a drug addict. Yeah. Let me pop this pill. Like, no, I have injury. You know, I, I've yeah. got a problem here. I'm, I, can, I can actually take this pill and I don't feel that anymore. But now you go, ooh, I do feel that. That hurt. I don't like the way you said that. Or maybe it's even, I've got to respond better in that situation. That's, that's humbling. Yeah, that's humbling. The way when you can go back in and tell somebody, hey, man, I really messed up. Yeah. Anything you want to add before we close off? Just something I forgot about, something you didn't think? You know what? We're inviting you guys to come to our concert, man. Yeah, January absolutely. 27th, right here at the Mesa Amphitheater. Yep. And it's a night to prevail. Basically, what we're doing is trying to bring people in the community together, show them what recovery should look like. Absolutely. Just, yeah. I think, you know, I, of course, like I say, I read a lot about you, know a lot of, uh, a little bit about your your history and all that's powerful. The reality is, People can have victory. They can prevail. Like that opportunity is there. Put the next foot in front of the other. Win today. You know, there's all these kind of short messages that we're saying. So um, for all of you that are listening, thank you for being with me. Brock, thanks for being here. Just keep going. If you don't do something today that you don't want to, or you do something that you do, I want you to know one thing. I'm proud of you. This program's proud of you. Brock's proud of you. We want you to be part of our recovery the same way we want you to be part of yours. Join us next time on Let's Go Recovery's podcast. Thanks for being here. I hope you heard something today that gets you to take one small step into the version of the person that you want to be. For more content like this, subscribe to our channel below or you can go on letsgorecovery.org. Until next time, 